following feature has been rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. It is intended for mature audiences and parental discretion is advised. A through Z with Death by DVD. Faces of Death and Fight for Your Life. This is the Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD, and you're listening to Hollywood Hank, the world's greatest. And here is a man whose dreams are filled with sweet, sweet death. Dr. I. Alexander B. Gross. I'm a doctor now. When they get my doctorate, and what university? Splatter you, Hamburger you. <laughs> there we go, Hamburger you. That's better. I prefer to have one from Hamburger you. Thanks. Good old Hamburger University. Yeah. Well, it, it's Buster University technically. So, let's just get our Hamburger the motion picture references correct. Fully endorsed. This week's episode, unfortunately, isn't about Hamburger the movie, which would have been a better decision, I feel. But it's another video nasty. Our monthly show that we haven't done in like three months it's not only that it's a fucking drag both of these movies are just like oh god berate me with negativity and it's not like bruno matai it's not jess franco it's not joe diamato we seem to be able to actually get through those and for some weird fucking reason have appreciation for anthropophagus fun yeah. These movies are not fun. That's the problem. Neither of them are fun whatsoever. I mean, they were like one of them was fun when I was like 16. One of the movies definitely is like a quintessential must see for any horror fanatic when they were in a teenager or around their freshman year of college. You saw this movie, you showed it to a lot of friends. I, I actually rewatched it for this episode. I got me a fancy Blu ray copy of it, and it was a fucking slog to sit through. I, I can say there is some enjoyment with an audio commentary. Because it's uh, it is informative. There, we'll get to that shit when we get to that shit. But there is a lot of uh, fun. Well, to technically, be had. the original product has an audio commentary from a doctor. Uh, are we starting with Faces of Death? We are starting ah, with so. Faces of Death. Yeah, I guess I can just begin with this. I I really didn't think as much of this movie was shot the way I have come to find out thanks to this audio commentary that you too can listen to on the Gorgon Video Blu-ray. Damn near everything actually is is uh, shot and produced almost you know like a movie movie which I found to be really fascinating that you've got some sequences of obviously clipped in stuff but the dogfight the snake being eaten by the piranha all of it's fake uh, and I thought a lot of this um like I think one of the only actual real sequences of death is the suicide jumper toward the end that jumps from the roof and then the close up of the body that's also fake. Uh, it's really, really shocking, funnily enough, a whole movie that is based on being shocking and offending you, when you find out how much of this shit, 99% of it, is actually fake. That kind of blew my mind and has given me a new appreciation for the movie, because it's like, shit, a lot of production went into this. But yeah, I mean, technically, the way this thing got started was the Japanese market wanted more Mondo Kane-type material, and they went to the States to try to get a video like that, some sort of gonzo, like, you know, real death documentary. So the makers of Faces of Death started 
collecting news footage of car crashes, of some autopsies. The director specifically, when he got this offer, he wasn't, what was really popular was pretty much animal videos or animal films of, you know, them being massacred by tribes or seals being clubbed. Just really horrific stuff was was high selling in the, the Japanese market. And that was kind of where he put his foot down and was like, you know, I don't really want to exploit animal violence. If anything, I'd much rather do humans. Uh, and to most people, especially when this film came out, I, I can see how it was so pivotal and changed, you know, parents trying to sue the movie because their children saw it and it offended them and things like that. But I think uh, <laughs> it's kind of wholesome. Like, I'd rather show people dying. I'm tired of seeing animals, which you do have a great deal of very vicious. Uh, you have kosher slaughtering. A chicken gets its uh, a fucking rooster. I don't know why they cut a rooster's head off. I didn't know you could eat those, but a rooster gets its head cut off. Those sequences are... Uh, are real you know there's there's nothing fake about the kosher slaughtering and, and all that jazz well, i mean and basically what ended up happening was they got all the footage together the news footage put it all together edited it together and they ended up with something that was about what 35 40 minutes max and then they had to because japan wasn't accepting of that so they had to film new stuff which was the stuff that you see that most people get offended by, even though it's fucking patently ridiculous, like the uh, the execution. Learning how they did the execution is even kind of funnier, not how they did it, but where the idea came from. came from Penthouse. Somebody read an article in Penthouse about what happens when you die by electrocution, and that's where they got the whole thing about the eyes exploding and you have to tape the eyes. So much of this was just a matter of... Let's get together and shoot it. And the elaboracy behind that, I think, is fairly impressive when you when you know the trick. And for years and years and years, I think, if, you know, it's not like I'm exposing it, but remember that stupid TV show where they used to expose magicians' tricks? It's the show that magicians around the globe don't want you to see. The Masked Magician is back on Magic's Biggest Secrets Finally Revealed. Pretty much you have like a, a really great magic trick with faces of death because you usually see this when you're like 16 to 19 years old in a room filled with bong smoke hanging out with a bunch of friends. It's a rite of passage film. It was especially in the 1980s when they were it was incredibly popular it was you don't you got to see this. It's real shit and it's banned and all this stuff. So it was a rite of passage sleepovers and things like that where you all got together and you had to watch it and see who got grossed out, see who couldn't handle it. Well, eventually you get to a point in your life, though, where it becomes really cheesy and fake and you kind of forget about Faces of Death and it becomes kind of, you know, like... When it was fun for me was when I figured out how fake most of it was and how kind of funny Francis B. Gross is the, when they put in the, uh, Jesus doesn't live here anymore We looked everywhere we need him like I love when he does the the hallelujah amen for the snake handling bit. He's hysterical. He's he's one hell of a host. But I think you now for me especially knowing the elaboracy of how much was put into doing these scenes and like the uh, the shootout sequence about a 40 person crew for that shot alone. The the director himself appears in almost every single segment too. He's one of the rescue workers in the cave scene. He's the cop that is rolling across the ground in the shootout scene. All these guys are just repeatedly, if you start paying close enough attention, it's like an Astron 6 movie. You'll start seeing the same guy in a wig just over and over and over again. And there's, I think there's a, a charm to that that I, 
I think you could appreciate now rewatching the movie, but it is a fucking slog to get through. There's so much shit that I don't remember because I must have fast forwarded. It's actually really boring because they did take it incredibly serious at the time, like this dark video together. So a lot of it is there's no tongue in cheek on it. It's just kind of like a documentary trying to be as much of a documentary as possible. And it gets a little boring to sit through where I ended up having a problem, like with the first I'd say three to four faces of death films. I found them entertaining once I found out that they were fake. You could kind of have a laugh at some of the production value being kind of bad at times. But towards the mid to late 90s, this type of product started getting less and less entertaining because you had things like death faces coming out. And there was one video Traces that came out death. called, um, was it Smashing... Smashing Pumpkins, I think was the name of it. And it was literally just a video of news footage of head trauma of people's heads, like from suicide jumpers and shit like that. It was all just smashed heads. After the original Faces of Death, I have a hard time keeping up with, you know, I mean, because I can tell you I've seen Faces of Death, the many faces, traces of death. And there are, you know, just tapes of full executions. Pretty rough because it was pretty, I'm pretty sure most of that is real. I don't know. Because I think they just found out it was cheaper and easier just to get as much gnarly footage as they could from like news outlets and stuff and stop putting any effort into like make anything fake at all. And it's just atrocity footage. And I just have no interest in watching executions in Africa that were filmed. And you and I grew up in very different generations that for me, I ended up seeing faces of death, like, like ridiculously young, like 11 or 12. And I, I even remember when I saw it and that we changed a VHS out and put it in a different box for faces of death to trick our friend's mom into letting us rent it. And, you know, uh, the Internet was just a vastly different place that you had on top of Rotten.com, places like Augerish. You could just fucking type into MSN search, you know, Afghanistan beheading videos, and they popped up. You could find them all over the place. And, uh, you know, the, the porn on top of that, there weren't really censors. So it was really easily accessible to get into these things where you would get kind of caught into a void of, of checking out everything that would accompany, accompany it, like faces of death, traces of death. And it's it's really weird, I think, especially with like the millennials and and how that exposure was such an easily accessible thing. So many people have that same story of, you know, I remember checking out Augrish and looking at gore videos for hours and hours and hours and just the availability to be able to desensitize yourself at such a young age to violence also kind of might be why, you know, modern horror isn't anywhere near as as exciting as it used to be, because it's just. I don't know, senseless violence for the most part that doesn't go anywhere, and it's trying to one-up what I think you experienced as a youngster. Well, that's a, kind of the big difference generationally is kind of what I was getting at. When you had the traces of uh, death and things like that that were coming out, and it was still a high-end video market. It was mostly videos where you had to see this stuff. And that's when the internet came out and shit like Rotten.com, and then this stuff became passe. You didn't have to rent stuff like this. It was just coming into your home. Um, so at that point, it became kind of a different thing altogether because it was people sitting around the internet just watching atrocities over and over again. And the party vibe left, and then it became like this lone act that you would do, almost like watching porn. Because at that point, you know it's not fake. There's nothing fake about this. This is all very much uh, tested and approved real footage. And it, like it's no longer fun. There's no longer a party element to it or any of that. It's literally just watching violence for the sake of violence. And then it becomes an incredibly negative act 
towards humanity at a certain point. I understand like the historic purposes of people having to sit and catalog this and it existing, but seeking it out for your own pleasure after a certain age, honestly, is is rather concerning. And it it you know don't and not trying to get into some psychological thing here, but you you really do have to kind of worry about a person like that that just kind of for fun wants to watch something. And I found rewatching Faces of Death. Uh, some of it really did. Shit that never used to make me uncomfortable now makes me uncomfortable. Like, the very, very beginning of the movie, you've got this open-heart surgery. That's hard to watch. There's something about the reality of that scene alone that makes it a bit difficult to watch. And then you you move progressively. I mean, God, going into the very beginning of the movie, you've got some really awful stuff. You've got that bullfight. And then you've got the dogfighting scene, which I was really happy to learn was completely fake. The dogs were both preparing to mate and all the blood was squirted on in between scenes and that last shot of the dog dead, they just froze the frame and poured fake blood all over it. So, still to today's standards, I would call that animal abuse, um, filming all that, and it's it's definitely not wholesome, but I, it's nice to know that At after... At least it's not a dead dog. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I just, there's something about... Again, animal abuse that kind of makes me enjoy the sentiment of the creation of this movie that somebody would have rather shown human abuse than animal abuse that just makes me happy. But then we immediately go into fucking kosher slaughtering videos, and that's horrible. If you don't know how that happens, the, the less you know, the better. Well, I think you were hitting on something earlier that is probably analogous to what is going on in horror now. Why supernatural, satanic ghost type movies are incredibly popular because that idea of like in the 1980s of seeing something you've never seen before seeing something so violent or something that can scar you is everyday practice on the internet and most people watch horror now they don't really care about gore it's nice to have it in there but most of the time gore movies are very comedic in nature um they're not like italian zombie films used to be where it was like Something very pain, yeah, something very painful. Uh, and that's all transferred over to internet atrocity videos. And horror is much more, so I would say it's much more literate now, more about story or mood and tone than it is about gore and other things. But again, that doesn't mean I also like a lot of modern horror either, because I find a lot of that stuff lacking as well, because you make a ghost style supernatural movie and a lot of people just don't care they kind of write a generic story like the original annabelle that first annabelle movie is garbage it is just lazily written garbage but the sequel was okay because i'm pretty sure uh, was it mike flanagan i think he did uh, annabelle whatever the hell the name of that second one was Two. that one was a little bit better because it like he tried and he wrote an okay story it was more about tone it was more about coming up with better scare scenes and stuff like that it's when you care about making a horror film, you can really put those things in there. But I also think so much of the horror film market right now is lazy. It's lazily written. It's just like, here you go, demon. Well, staying on that subject, too, you know, you talk about how a lot of uh, modern horror is very literate now. But there are like 300 movies about the dark web alone, that the subject matter is just like the dark web, almost like it's its own evil entity that this is... This is something completely blown out of proportion in real life that, you know, yes, you could probably find it. Not probably. You can find somebody to hire for murder on the dark web, but it's not like a browser that you just click off of Google. There's such a weird component of even 
the history of the internet and like the subject matter we're talking about all these old gore websites that are, are no longer accessible you can't even find archives on google you have to use an alternative search engine like DuckDuckGo or something and then maybe you might be able to hunt it down but it's heavily censored on the internet and it's become so much stuff of legends that now it's manipulated as a plot device and so much modern horror that it's just fucking boring I mean, there's just so many movies. I was on the dark web, and now there's a demon haunting me, or a stalker is going to come and get me. It's not the greatest plot device. And when you have something like the the desensitization of uh, modern culture with being exposed to constant violence and gore, now everything's just, with what you're saying, pretty fucking boring and lazy. And I, I really do think there has to be kind of a hand-in-hand thing with... I mean, it's not just me. It's not just horror fans that sat down and did this just about everybody came home from school and if it wasn't rotten.com there was awful shit like two girls one cup that people sent to their friends it's just a, a le- the internet since the early 2000s has just been a legacy of uh brutality and awful bad things to tuck a weird mis- misfits reference in i think that's somewhat been good for horror and somewhat been bad for horror i mean at a certain point day of the dead was a rite of passage film because it was intensely violent there's a tv show that is day of the dead once a week on sundays just as violent as that movie ever was and now it's just a tv show so that's that's changed significantly but at the same time don't like i'm not completely shitting on modern horn kong at all lazy like i think hereditary um which was about supernatural things like that like was incredibly well done i think it's a five-star movie by far so it doesn't all have to be lazy it's all in how you do it that movie is shocking it's literate it is well made it is well shot and it has a way of taking these ideas of supernatural ideas and making them new and exciting in certain ways other ways a little bit passe and boring but presenting them in a new way same thing with the witch that ouija movie the original one was just absolute garbage We have these A24 films, and those are very, very literate, and they all have a purpose and a point, but you also have, to bring it up again, The Void. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that's a a credibly literate movie. It's not a lot of reading into monsters, practical effects, a lot of blood, a lot of violence, but it's it's a fucking brilliant movie. It's a five-star movie, equally as something like Hereditary is. So there is a lot of good. There is a lot of... Uh, potentially beautiful things that you can find in the modern horror world. You just kind of got to dig for them. And that does truly get exhausting where you're 45 minutes into scrolling through Amazon just trying to find something good because you made the mistake of watching one bad Ben movie. Now everything that's suggested to you to watch is another equally fucking awful found footage movie. God, I hate my life. A lot of that stuff in modern horror is, yes, you do have the well-made movies, but... When you do have the terrible movies that are made, a lot of those things still get watched because people don't have particularly discerning tastes. No, I mean, even the joke I just made, I watch pure, absolute, unadulterated, fucking bullshit, garbage, trash all the time on Amazon. And I unfortunately have a stupid ritual that if I waste more than five minutes on the movie, I have to fucking finish it. So I end up, I watch a lot of just awful, awful Recent films, 2018 to 2021, shit, last night I watched like two 2021 movies that are so unremarkable I couldn't even fucking tell you their name or what happened in them. Why? Because I have the goddamn power to. <laughs> I hate streaming. <laughs> well, I mean, and some of that is good because you, like in the 80s when people were bitching about gore movies, they were just talking about going back to the days of, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein being more about mood and tone. And that's 
technically what we're getting back to is things like that. But it's also an era where it's easier than ever to make a horror film, and you have people who think they can do that and think they're good at it and have no idea what they're doing, and they put out shit. And there's so many avenues for you to watch this shit. There's so many... Like, Amazon doesn't check any of this. They don't go, is this movie really... Like, if we rent this out for $4, are people going to be mad? It's got a cover. So if you've got at least a technically okay poster for your movie and a running time that like will work with Amazon. Okay, we'll put it up. Here's actual money you can spend on this complete piece of shit because it costs us nothing for you to upload it to our server. There you go. So that shit's available everywhere. We've kind of gotten off faces of death here a little bit. <laughs> on one final note with this, the unfortunate thing with that is you have a lot of independent filmmakers that are working on no, bu no, no budget and very low budget that are finally able to get their film on Amazon. And then there are... 14 bad Ben movies that it's are buried. Yeah. You can't find it. You don't even get a chance to, and these filmmakers have to go out of their way and pay now to have advertising and, and dig out of their own pockets to just get this product that has already taken them a lot of labor to do. But yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of this also plays into faces of death because what we're really talking about here is a, a lot of ritualistic sort of things when it comes to being a horror fan that, you know, like something like faces of death, you end up seeing early on and you go through a gore phase and it's not just like real gore. I think most horror fans, especially in their twenties and guys go through, you know, you go through your Fulci phase. You really want, and some people never grow out of it. I didn't. I, I'm, I'm still in my third. Uh, I'm still in my Fulci phase, well into my thirties. But uh, you, you crave a certain amount of violence as a horror fan, and then kind. Sometimes you grow out of it. Sometimes you know, you don't. Well, technically, it's kind of the same market because video stores were hungry for product back in the day, and you could put almost anything on the shelves. But the difference is the market is so much larger that there are literally thousands of choices. You only had so much shelf space. If you had, like, had a video store now, you could have a video store that was literally nothing but horror films, and you still wouldn't have enough space. You could fill an entire empty Walmart with a horror video store, which actually now sounds like a pretty good idea, folks. So yeah. if <laughs> like anybody wants to take that and make their own horror video store, go for it. But yeah, there's just so much product out there available that, everything gets buried and it's so hard to it's mostly just on word of mouth because you sure as fuck can't listen to most horror journalism or critics because i, I apparently they're just not con like discerning about their taste anymore everything's good everything on shutter's brilliant this movie's the oh this one's good too i like this one you know, i've been putting on. thought to this since we last spoke about it on the show and i think a big problem especially generationally and how things work now is nobody wants to be offensive and I think it's a little bit forgotten. Journalism and critiquing isn't meant to be offensive by any means necessary. Now, if you're crass and you're rude and you have a, this movie fucking sucks, fuck this movie, fuck these people, then yeah, I can understand why a filmmaker... That's not critique, that's yeah. just being a dick. That's and, and a lot of people can be guilty of that. I'm sure uh, 11 years ago, some old episodes of our show could even sound similar to something like that. But if I don't like a movie, there's a specific reason for it, and I'm going to bring it up, I'm going to discuss it. If there's bad writing, I'm not trying to fucking insult the person, I'm not trying to be hurtful and, and dig at you if I, if it's you just got to take the fact that I watched this I, and especially if I don't know you I mean 90% of the time there's some chances on this show there's some people we've uh, discussed that are familiar with the show recently I did a show about Fred Vogel he, he was on an episode of this show but I don't fucking know the guy 
I mean, I, I've been in the same room with them maybe once. I don't mean to insult you, and I have no intention of doing so. I'm talking about a product here. If it was a car, and I was discussing how the axle rod was put on poorly, I'm not trying to insult the fucking robot that probably installed it at some weird factory in Japan. I'm, I have nothing against it. It's just a fucking comment because you released something to the public, and I had an opinion on it. I don't know you. I don't know your influences, and I don't know where you came from and what you've done. And you just don't get any sort of... Uh, critique, you don't get any sort of freedom of opinion anymore. It just seems like collectively it's a great deal of people that are either really interested in getting some screeners or, you know, just to be honest, I don't know, like the smell of their own fucking farts, which <laughs> things we probably shouldn't say on this fucking show, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and back to Faces of Death real quick. Like, yeah, if you want to know the impact of Faces of Death and literally what that film did to the home video market. Um, every video store I ever worked at, and I've worked at, I worked at like four altogether. If you go through the logs of, cause they kept logs of how much each rental had made each like videotape or DVD later in the time, the highest grossing movies at every video store ever worked at were faces of death and Ilsa, she wolf of the SS. Those are the, always the two biggest rental. You would literally spend, especially in the 1980s, you'd spend maybe $120 on a copy of Ilsa, She Will VSS. And the return investment on that, you would make somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to $8,000 off of that one film and just rentals alone over. But this is over like a 10 year period. I'm not talking about like, you know, like six months in, this is over like 10, 15, 20 years of it being on the shelves. You made like $8,000 off of a copy of Faces of Death. That's pretty important for the horror video market. I mean, that's why Faces of Death is still important to horror today, even though it's kind of a generic atrocity style video, but it made a huge impact on, um, on the market back in the day. It's still somewhat important to this day, historically speaking, of course, just for what it did, why it was important and why it still holds some sort of relevance to today's audience, even though it's incredibly goofy to watch at times. Believe it or not, Faces of Death outsold Star Wars in certain parts of Japan. Uh, something, too, that's very unique with the movie is, is, you know, now that we've spilled the beans and have told you Watch all of it's pretty much fake, all of it is shot specifically for Faces of Death. The reenactments are, are kind of really before their time. A lot of this is, like, shaky cam found footage stuff even before uh, Diodato's Cannibal Holocaust. And it's, I mean, you before, like, Unsolved Mysteries, before something like Cops, you've got that shootout scene where the, the cameras are running behind them. And it's like an episode of Cops, 20, well, not 20 years for Cops, but 20 years before found footage movies. Diodato is usually quoted as, like, the very first person to do something like that. And you've got, like, the McPherson tapes and... Blair Witch Project. This reeks of that, and it's kind of it's kind of a shame you never really see this listed as an influence with people that you know are responsible. Well, for I think a part like of that. that is no one ever let them in on the gimmick of what it was. That yes, this is fake. Not only until like the I'd say the early two thousands, the late nineties, did anyone even know Faces of Death? You're like, yeah, we fake most of this. I mean, people suspected. Well, they even recorded a, like a, a, a pseudo documentary. I think it's Faces of Death Five that uh, tells you some of it's fake, but not all of it. But like the monkey. Now, maybe the monkey was abused a little bit, but they shot that in, like, Santa Monica, built a table for it. The mallets are made out of rubber. The monkey brains is made out of jello and cauliflower. It's all very, very elaborate, but it is, it's all fake. No monkeys were harmed. 
If I think the footage of the rooster having its head cut off was shot for the movie, but they went out to a fucking farm and said, hey, when you cut off the next chicken's head, can we film it? So it wasn't necessarily done for the movie. It Apples and oranges. for the film, yes. Yeah. The, the slaughter footage, all that jazz, that was acquired footage. The snake actually being eaten by piranhas, that's, that's one of the most elaborate editing jobs in the movie. They shot that in Florida, and they had a snake handler. Release that in, the, the scene where you actually see the fish coming up to it, it's like a little carp, and then they added in fake blood and had a skeleton on hand. All of it's completely shot, the snake wasn't even hurt. The beheading scene in Afghanistan, all of it fake. The, the one true crucial scene of a human death is when you have the, the, the woman committing suicide and she jumps off the, the top of the building. When you see her hit the ground, that's all real. And when they do those close-up shots, all that was fake. Oh, yeah, and the, the fucking body they found, which is a baffling story. The crew literally went out to go swimming and, like, a cameraman bumped into it as it washed ashore. That's oddly serendipitous, but, hey, it, it worked. Kind of disturbing these guys' first reaction was to go get their rigs and shoot before, uh, you know, calling the law, but... You got to do your job. And I think Faces of Death is important historically to the home video market. It's important historically to horror fans. It needs to be talked about with, I can't believe I'm saying this, a certain amount of reverence for what it did at the time. But it's also something that I wouldn't necessarily say, no, you've got to see Faces of Death if you're a horror fan. Nah, fuck that. If you're a horror fan, you don't need to see Faces of the Death. You need to understand what it was why it was, why it's important. That's about as far as you need to take it. It's not something, I mean, if you want to giggle at Francis B. Gore's ridiculous mundane fucking narrations, that's something you have to see at this point in history. I think there's a difference to things that are incredibly culturally important to the video market and the history of horror and then things that are important to horror as to where something like Cannibal Holocaust, I would almost say you kind of need to see. I think it's very important, uh, not just as being a forerunner of the found footage genre, but for what it stands for and the message of that movie, I think it's very important to all of the above sort of thing is to where, yeah, you can just go ahead and skip Faces of Death. It, no one's going to fucking yell at you, and if they do, fuck them. Especially now with Cannibal Holocaust having versions out where you can skip all of the uh, animal death footage. There are versions for you where you can just watch the film and not have to see any of that. So I think, yes, you're t correct about Cannibal Holocaust. There's really no excuse to not watch Cannibal Holocaust now. You can even just watch the Joe Bob footage if you want to hear about everything, but Grindhouse releasing does a spectacular Blu-ray that's got the uh, incredible soundtrack. You should never miss out on that, even if you hate the movie. God damn it, the soundtrack. Also, Cannibal Ferox, both of them. They're real fucking winners. You can get that and uh, watch it cruelty-free. Well, I mean... I, I think the more cruel aspect is the humans than anything else, but what the fuck ever. That's what makes Faces of Death, I think, as a whole unique uh, for its genre-bending ways. That it was really the first time that we were fixated on the abuse and degradation of humans instead of something like animals. Which, you know, tip of the hat to. But still, the seal clubbing scene, the kosher slaughtering, there's, there's a fucking lot. There's a lot to take with this. It's visually assaulting. It will fuck your senses up if you're... You know, I don't want to say sensitive to this sort of thing, but vegan, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I don't want. It's not like I'm trying to to say you know certain audiences are sensitive, but it it just really depends on what you're able to watch. And if animal violence bothers you, if if just people being hurt bothers you, I'd skip it in in full. But it does have its place. I have a fancy schmancy Blu-ray of it now, which uh, I got my money's worth. I'll give it that much. So this is the part where we talk about, geez. Why was Faces of Death on the Video Nasties list, Hank? Let's I could see. not imagine. All of it? 
every last frame of the movie, and especially since they claimed that absolutely all of it was real. Hmm. Like, why they want to cut? Not available in the UK. I, I wonder. What was the objectionable scenes? Can you find this still in the UK? Is this available? Uh, well, Hank, to, to the let's book. find out when <laughs> we get into The Art of the Nasty by Nigel Wingrove and Mark Morris. All right. Faces of Death, made for the Japanese market. This tasteless Mondo film appeared on tape in September of 1982 in a version missing approximately 26 minutes of footage. Hugely successful on video in America among the new breed of kids looking for real death footage. It was followed by four sequels and paved the way for numerous imitations. And uh, if you are the collector of the PAL pre-certificate versions of Video Nasties, you are looking for the Atlantis company version of it that has the um, a, a lovely painting of the man in the electric chair who's been executed with blood seeping out of his eyes and mouth. I looked for it on the internet to see if I could find a copy that is for sale or has sold, and I could not find it. I'm sure this one's pretty pricey because this one was super hard to come by back in the day. Um, it's the stuff the, of legends. When the uh, the BBFC put out the uh, nasties list, this one was one that people really seeked out. So oh, I'm sure a lot of copies were destroyed. I'm sure a lot of copies... Um, we're being turned over for massive amounts of money at the time. So this one's probably not going to be as easy to find as a lot of the other ones. Next movie we'll be talking about is not that expensive. I mean, it's it's high, but it's not like, you know, $1,000 or $800. Yeah, nobody wants this movie with Bill Lustig. <laughs> Fuck. I'm so not excited to talk about the next movie. I've said it Jesus. multiple times, though, um, <laughs> the, the best way, if you'd like, for your home viewing to see Faces of Death Gorgon video did one hell of a Blu-ray. Really great stuff. As an adult, watching this with the commentary was really fucking fun. And I laughed a lot having the director talk about it and going, and he's very elaborate, a very well-spoken gentleman. This is, sometimes you get awful wandering commentaries where there's a bunch of people that haven't been in the same room for 30 years and it just goes absolutely nowhere. This, every single second, you're learning something about the movie, the shooting, the market, the history of the market, everything Alexander Nash has just been discussing, the uh, the late 80s, early 90s video store market. Really great A stuff for a horror fan. I, I strongly recommend it. Shame Gorgon doesn't put out more stuff because this this was really... I don't I don't often, you know, blather about a, a release, but this was a really nice disc. I'm, I'm actually happy to have this in my collection. I would show people Faces of Death again to, to sit around and smoke pot just with the commentary on because I think it's that much fun. So, yeah. Faces of Death Lives. The same thing um, with my Death Spa Blu-ray. That's a yeah. pretty nice package for Gorgon Video to be putting out, especially since they don't really... This is not Vinegar Syndrome. It's not Scream Factory. It's not 88 Films. This is an incredibly small label that puts out maybe one or two Blu-rays every once in a while. So, But when they do, they're actually pretty nice products. Yeah, really excellent. The next movie we're going to be talking about, you'll be able to find a excellent copy from Blue Underground, and we've already kind of made fun of it a little bit. the The thing that's really interesting about this movie is, I guess, the 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 writing staff 
feels that there's a very important message at hand. I, as the viewer, disagree. But the fucking director, I, as your partner in this podcast, also disagree. Yeah, I really don't don't agree with these people and what their message is. And to the extent that the director of this picture, a man named Robert A. Endelson, he won't fucking talk about it. He will have nothing to do with this. He has moved on. He's no longer in the film business for for one thing. But even aside from that, he he to this day doesn't want to speak about it. The writer Straw Wiseman. That guy's a fucking character for sure. Uh, I've heard him talk. Yeah, he's done some other stuff in the industry. Um, oh, let me pull that up real quick. He's like, he's actually been involved as a producer and a writer on a couple of um, actual. He's a character, man. I've listened to this guy this last week talk in depth about uh, this film. I've not introduced it. Fight for Your Life, 1977. And, man, he has some things to say about it. He has a lot of opinions on it. And I don't, it's not like I fully disagree with the guy. Like, you know, you're, you're absolutely wrong. I think he pulls a lot um, out of his ass when it comes to the defense of this movie. And if you've not seen this film, it's a fucking anxiety attack. It's awful. <laughs> well, one of the things that Straw Weissman was involved in is he was a production manager on Hatchet for all you horror fans Oh, wow, nice. He was a post-production supervisor, excuse me. And he's been throughout the industry here and there. A lot of... Uh, Check it out, associate producer on Toolbox Murders, the Toby Hooper version. That is correct. He wrote Grave Robbers, or what was the, uh, the other name? Because I'm pretty sure um, Vinegar Cinder put out Grave Robbers not too long ago. Um, was it Dead Mate, I think, is the other title of that film? I'm not 100% sure of that. Okay, uh, Straw Weissman also wrote... He actually directed when that. Nature Calls for Troma. He directed Grave Robbers on, on back on yeah, that one. Yeah, he also directed Grave Robbers. He wrote Godzilla 1985. Yeah, so he's been involved in the industry, and he wrote this thing, which is just... It is a rough fucking ride. I'm not going to mix my words on this no, one. No, there's nothing to, to mix at all. Even, I mean, again, like Faces of Death, I rewatched this with the commentary and without... And even with the fucking commentary, it's not enjoyable. There's there's not a moment of this movie that I enjoy. And I, I don't everyone talks about the ending. Everyone always consistently brings up the ending of this film as if it's some form of payoff. It fucking isn't. And we'll get to we'll talk about that at the end of you know, the segment, but everything about this movie to me it's it's and it it doesn't suck. It's a well shot movie, it's a well acted movie, it's it's well written. I just don't like it. I don't like <laughs> I don't know if it's all well written. Um the general plot of Fight for Your Life, a.k.a. Staying Alive, it stars William Sanderson, a, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Daryl. Sebastian? And his What's other... his name? Oh, yeah, Sebastian from Blade Runner. He's Daryl and his other brother, Daryl, from Bob Newhart. Hi, I'm Larry. This is my brother, Daryl. That's my other brother, Daryl. Uh, how you doing? Okay, except I throwed my back out last week crawling under a house. Sounds like a tough job. Wasn't a job. I just like crawling under houses. <laughs> what? Uh, I was thinking, Sebastian something. F. Cobb? Yeah, okay. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I hope it is. I just pulled that out. I was like, that sounds right. Sebastian F. Cobb? Maybe. I have no idea. But anyway, uh, gentleman from Kentucky... Thick redneck accent. He plays an escape felon, escape from jail or prison, with his Hispanic comrade and his Asian comrade uh, when a the transport truck overturns and uh, 
they go on a joyride and steal a pimp's car. What's most important is this character is a uh, J.F. Sebastian. What the fuck is F? F. What did I say? Se- something Sebastian F. Cobb. I oh god. Yeah, I don't know what the I, fuck you were talking about. I just agreed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's J.F. Sebastian. I'm sorry, but it, you've got this character who is just. I don't just want to call him a racist because it's not like he hates black people. He fucking hates everybody. He is a bigot beyond all bigots, a xenophobe beyond all xenophobes. And you've got him set up with this multiracial gang who he, he equally... Hates them too. Yeah, he's equally nasty to them, but they seem to have camaraderie because they are all the like the baddest of the bad. They're all rapists. They're all awful people. And as we'll see throughout the film, you know they have no qualms with killing fucking children. Just very, very vile people. And there is no like punches held. The very first scene of this movie is probably... Probably the best, in my opinion, because it's this really high-paced action sequence. They're they're shooting in new downtown in New York City. Uh, you've got this this prison transport that is in a in a wreck, and they they kill the cop. It's very action-paced. It's kind of grisly. It's like a dirty Harry movie almost at this point. And then immediately once we get Sanderson's character's introduction, it's like uh. You do have a really cool sequence there, though, because all the characters are being introduced. They've, they've stolen a car, and they're driving down the road, and it's a little reminiscent of something like Last House on the Left. You've got a, a radio playing, discussing who these guys are and what they're guilty of and that they're on the run and that they've escaped, and all of them are laughing, and as each person is being discussed, they speak, and you kind of get to understand who it is. That's Good about way the way to set up a character, especially like a felon character, is to have that radio exposition come in and go, here's who these people are and here's why you should hate them. And this is about like the, the furthest of the articulation with this movie. I mean, there's a lot of great editing. The movie is shot really well. It looks well. It's just it's such an unpleasant ride, personally. And we were discussing this before the show. The last time I, I tried to watch this movie was like five or six years ago, and it, it didn't end up being finished because it just gets to a point where you're like, I, I don't care care how it ends i've had enough yeah i'm not enjoying this it doesn't matter what retribution is held upon the bad guy you've just fucking it's and it's not a matter of being offended it's just a matter of i I don't know how to word it outside of like bludgeon what is the 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 criminals they hold up in a house with a minister a black minister and his family and Sanderson proceeds to berate them a specifically for... anti-violent minister like that's like in their living room they have a portrait he's a turn uh, turn the other cheek Jesus freak that's what he's all about he's all about like no revenge no retribution in their living room they have a portrait of the Kennedy brothers and Martin Luther King Jr so i mean the character is really a bastardization, I, I really think, of... I, this movie, at its core, is an exploitation film, specific, specifically because of this. I think these characters are explicit of just stereotypes, that we're just going to base it off something, and it that, if anything, is one of the most offensive factors of the movie. And I, I don't, at the time period and the way this was written, think it was fucking... In, on on purpose. I don't think it was set down and written from that perspective, but 30 some odd years later, you know, 40 years later when you watch this film, it's like Jesus Christ. What do you how could this even I mean, it didn't really show anywhere, but how can this be celebrated? And like Bill Lustig, I made a joke a while ago. He fucking loves this movie. He apparently showed Judd Nelson this movie, watches it four or five times a year. He released it on on his label Blue Underground. And I get it. I I get loving it because it truly is uh, this defines what an exploitation film is. It's exploiting the subject matter, it's exploiting the people, it's exploiting the audience, and it's exploiting the genre itself. Every angle of this is exploitation. 
I just I have never been able to find a single ounce of fucking pleasure in this film. <laughs> well, I mean, we haven't even really talked about the elf in the room and the the problem yeah, with the worse. movie and why <laughs> it it's so worse. kind of not even so much offensive. It's an hour, maybe an hour and ten minutes straight of William Sanderson berating this family, this incredibly nice family with racial epitaphs. And it's not ab-libbed. Um, like, all of this is from the script. I think, like, the few bits of ab-libbing is some of the only non-racist stuff that comes out of Sanderson's mouth. And, like, at one point, he picks up a Bible and beats the minister with it. When he turns the other cheek, he literally turns the other cheek to not have a situation of violence and gets bludgeoned with it. That's one of the most raw motherfucking scenes of the film. And that's really what we're, like, because it is, it's fucking non-stop. It does not stop, and it's just, like, Good fucking God. He I makes him sing. I mean, he does so much awful stuff. He makes him sing like a minstrel. He shoots at his feet and makes him dance. He rapes his fucking daughter. One of the characters goes out and kills uh, one of the the family member's friends, like an eight-year-old child. She's also like the cop's son, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's one of the... We have this really weird, obscure, like, nor cop character from the city that wears a pork pie hat and has, he's really really stiff and it's kind of hysterical it almost is like the counterpoint in last else on the left where you have the two buffoon cops uh and one of well, the guys I mean, assisting I think him the idea is to take that straight laced character give him a reason and that like makes the ending come to a head of why the cop ultimately lets what happened at the end happen yeah is because yeah. you've stripped away all of well, and, and it's not well. just that. I mean, he listens. I mean, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but he finds out some things with a listening device that is a bit before its time, even for this movie, and turns literally the other cheek. But I think the ending is incredibly ineffective. I think the ending almost voids the point of all of this character development. Like, we've been given this immaculate amount of development with this minister as he's been beaten and degraded and just treated absolutely subhuman. And every time he consistently, with his, his willpower and his belief, despite putting his family in danger, is consistent to what he truly believes as a man. And then what we get at the end of the movie is pretty much everything he stands for being pissed on. Uh, and I, I, I don't think... Fuck that, I'm killing this prick. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I completely get it, and I understand for the point of the movie, it's an exploitation. This is a drive-in movie that really actually didn't get to play too many drive-ins, but I just, I, to me, I think that is one of the most soul-crushing acts of the movie is the fact that this whole entire guy's belief system and everything he stood for is just corrupted and completely destroyed. So kind destroyed. of Sanderson ends up winning at the end because... Exactly. Because the minister, like, like just throws away his values to basically get revenge. And I technically view this film as a rape revenge film. Definitely. Um, I agree. It does have some rape elements in it, but it's the, like the, like the, not so much a physical rape, but the emotional rape of this family and ultimately to get the revenge at the end. And it's one of the most unpleasant rape revenge films because of that reason. It's, it's so just harsh to sit through this entire movie of just watching this guy be an absolute cocksucker to this entire family which they are so nice and he's just such a fucking asshole to him i think the most objectionable scene that uh, to the bbfc one of the most objectionable scenes is at the beginning before they even get to the house when sanderson points the gun at the baby that was one of the scenes like oh we gotta cut that and like okay i mean that's i know it wasn't loaded but you didn't know it wasn't loaded that yeah. uh, unfortunately that scene always makes me fucking laugh when i have to sit through this movie <laughs> one of the unfortunate things with this whole thing and what we're discussing though is is there has to almost like faces of death 
You have to have a value for this movie, though, because it really is the definition, textbook definition of what an exploitation film is. And like I said earlier, every subject that is involved in this, I think, is exploited, whether or not it was intentional by the filmmakers and the writers themselves. But, you know, 40 fucking years later, the way this movie plays, uh, even if you want to take it down to, like, nitpicking, like... White Southern people are exploited. Black people are exploited. Uh, the Asian character, the Hispanic character, everyone is just exploited. It's it's just rough to go through. And really, the only piece you have is like the fumbling cop. And then you think the movie's going to end and a kid gets his head caved in with a rock. <laughs> it doesn't stop. All the while, every racial term, the most offensive, gnarly, disgusting words are coming out of Sanderson's mouth. Non-stop. Shit that I've never even heard before. I'm like, ooh, yeah. that one stings. Shit I've only heard in this movie when I watch this movie, and, and any town USA is in the South. We have both grown up around a lot of racism, so that too is just, when you acknowledge this, when you realize how constant racism is, this movie just, it, it's not fun. Even though the lead character, I mean, fuck, spoilers all over the place, I'm sorry, we've already talked about it, but even though the lead character, who has such a great name, Jesse Lee Kane, Jesse Lee Kane, even though he gets, you know, his comeuppance, he gets fucking shot in the third at the end of the film, it doesn't do anything for me. It's it's not a matter of being offended, it's just a matter of, why did you do to, like, this? He just gets shot. Like, that's not so much of a comeuppance, it's just like, well, that's justified. All right. And it becomes like a Sam Peckinpah movie, like, oh, we got the bad guys and we got to kill them. So everyone starts dying. Like one guy gets shot in the balls another somehow freakishly gets impaled on a piece of glass whilst jumping through a window, which I don't know if physically you could do something like that. But fuck it. We're, we're watching a movie here. It's entertaining. Then you've got the standoff with Jesse Lee Kane and the minister. And he like he's more offensive there. And what sucks even about this whole scene is the minister just it's not that he breaks <laughs> I feel he does, like, break who he is. He just b belittles him and becomes ugly, and he sinks to his level. There's, I don't feel there's payoff in that and just shooting the guy. It's violence for the sake of violence, something Chaz Ballon constantly tried to make the audience aware of, and we happily keep that alive on Death by DVD. No matter, So everything you just saw pretty much was for no fucking reason. This whole movie, you get to the end of it, and it's like, oh, okay, whatever, he's dead. Well, I... I think the whole exploitation element of the film was if this was supposed to specifically play to a urban black audience, like on 42nd Street, like to basically get that big applause moment at the end. But the amount of trauma endured throughout most of the film to get to that moment where everybody's going to cheer at the end when this racist piece of shit gets killed. It's just like, well, that's not almost not worth it. I mean, this guy gets shot and he's dead and all the bad guys get killed. So they're just gone. One of our characters is raped. Another who's a small child, his best friend has his fucking head caved in and he's witnessed all these atrocities in front of his family. He's not going to grow up and be okay. The girl's not going to grow up and no, be okay. He's going to grow up and direct biker boys. Yeah. Um, and literally, <laughs> you know, I mean, look at what that did to his career. He ended up hanging out with Kid Fucking Rock. It's absolutely awful. The father, he's never going to be able to live with himself because of these actions that literally go against everything that has been his entire life. The grandmother should probably die of a stroke or something awful. And you don't see any of this shit on screen, and I'm just raving. But there's just not a goddamn good thing that can come from the ending of this. And what sucks the most is you go through the entire ride, and it's like... It's well shot. The soundtrack's fucking bumping. It's really cool. The acting is great. Despite it being 
abhorrent, awful, awful, awful dialogue. Sanderson's fucking great. He has star power. Well, you I hate see. him. I hate him in this movie. And yeah. I generally like him as an actor. It sucks watching this because anything I see him in for the next year, I'm going to cringe and think of this film now until I finally smoke enough pot to kind of forget that we did this and that, you know, I had to sit down and I own a goddamn copy of it. And it's it, and it's like I'm shit talking this so much, but almost like we were discussing with Faces of Death. This isn't really like a necessary thing as a horror fan that you need to see. But it's I not even really a horror film. It's just an exploitation film more than anything. Well, I do, unfortunately, kind of implore the audience to check it out, though, and see it, because it is a time capsule that is so realistic and relevant now with today's treatment of just, just, just humans that we live with every single day that are 100% judged because of the color of their skin. And it's not, like, up for debate. It's not a thing like, well, I don't think Black Lives Matter is a thing. It should be All Lives Matter. No, fuck you. You're wrong. You're, you're you're absolutely wrong. And if you can't see how evident racism is in a time like this, then you need to actually go back and watch Fight for Your Life and see how disgusting people are treated in this movie. Because it, well, that, it's... I'd say the problem with that though is the level of racism that's in Fight for Your Life is very very auditory. It's very uh, on the nose, and most people don't understand. Like, well, I'm not racist. Why? Because you don't use racial terms, but you don't understand the amount of like internalized racism you have and the amount of systemic racism that's in the world. That's what you're not recognizing. Just words is not what people are talking about in most modern day discussions about race and racism. It's a lot about how systems were designed to be racist and we're still upholding those systems and we need to examine and fix those systems. It's not so much that I said a word and I, or did this or did that, where it's, that's also a, a problem. Well, I mean, look at that guy, that country musician that, that got caught calling a friend the N-word like it's just something you should be able to call people, and then a week later he goes number one on the billboards because people looked him up and hit him up on Spotify and wanted to see who he was. He, he's There's no repercussion. He's taking a stand against cancel culture or just being a complete piece of shit. Either one. I think a question this this movie poses is why, why are some of this dialogue so acceptable? And, I mean, this can go down to that whole fucking Quentin Tarantino debate Spike Lee has had for years and i have I, I have a stance and this i don't think is the necessary time or place for that stance but when it comes to fight for your life 1977 i i think it's such an overwhelming thing that i can't feel i can't help but feel that that the the, the way this movie was written the way it plays to me and i've seen it more than once this wasn't my first time seeing this film this is something that you know, I caught young that I, I hunted down because it's an exploitation film and it's a, a famous video nasty. And that itself is a rite of passage of hunting down and watching video nasties. I think this movie is written 100% at an explicit stance toward African-Americans. I think that's the point. I think it is exploiting them. And I think the point of this movie even selling was to exploit it to that audience. And <laughs> there's no fucking payoff for that to me. I don't think it's offensive. I just think at, at that's... I think it's boring and that's almost the insult most of the movie is this this drag of of sanderson's character kane assaulting the family and it just is so it's almost like snm at this point it just doesn't fucking stop it's just like where are you getting off what is what is pleasurable about this nothing's fun about this awful dialogue and i mean <laughs> bill lustig strongly agrees a lot of people love this movie it's heavily celebrated we clearly have a very different opinion but Fuck us, right? <laughs> We're here to ruin the party. Fuck it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like it's not the worst thing that's out there. It's just it's not a pleasant watch. This isn't something you sit down 
with a drink and a hey, bowl mom, of popcorn watch a movie? and just go, well, that was entertaining. It's just not that entertaining. It's just it's kind of hard to sit through for numerous reasons. Uh, racism, boredom is also another one, but just the amount of it that's all lumped onto you at once is where it becomes somewhat objectionable. And I don't mean objectionable and it should be censored sort of. No, I'm not talking about that sort of stuff. I'm just talking about your own barometer for these sorts of things of just sitting on like ah, jesus i think i've had enough of this it's like watching like some fucking alt-right youtube videos like, like for six hours in a day and just like you know what i've had enough of this shit i don't want to listen to this xenophobic crap anymore if even the fact that i don't agree with it it's still hard to fucking sit through it's like following james woods on twitter but i bump <laughs> just genuinely um, so. unpleasant What's it on the video nasties list, Hank? Oh, God, there is so well, much. Well, there's the gun in the baby's face. That was one big one. Yeah, that's probably the first one. The, even using a rock to kill the kid. There's so much nudity. There's violence against women. It, it's all over the place. Which, um, it's it's. I don't know if so much it was the inherent racism that got the movie banned as it is just the, the, the violence in total. And, you know, it's hard because... We, you know, I'm, I'm tr- I guess we're both trying to talk about the pros and cons of something like this, and I don't want to you know, seem overwhelmingly negative on the subject matter. I personally don't enjoy the movie, but I own it, and it's something that I un- probably, unfortunately, will show people. I, that I, it, it does have a point. I disagree with the point that the filmmakers or the writer, I don't want to you know, bring the director into this since he fucking disowns the movie, but Straw Wiseman feels that there's a strong, significant point to certain things. You and I both uh, take it into a different direction than he has. It's all opinion here. I just don't want to come off like, you know, we hate he this movie, it's a, a piece of shit. He might have point in the 70s when the film was made, but at, at this point in history... That point is no uh, is not quite as valid as it and could I don't have think, been back then. I don't think it's his a, a, a person like his place to make this. And what I mean by that statement is a, is a white man. I don't think it's a white dude's place to be making a statement quite like what comes off with "Fight for Your Life." Um, and that's that's just again that's a personal reflection when it comes to the film. I I just don't want it to sound like. You know, we're pushing people from this. Check it out on your own regard. I mean, please be aware, just as well as Phases of Death, this is something that you really have to put some thought into watching because it could be traumatic and it, it could be very well offensive. But that's art. That's that's all the point of art. All right. So the passage in The Art of the Nasty is fight for your life. This tale of racial hatred, rape, torture, and revenge was rejected outright by the BBFC in October of 1981. Then the uncut version appeared on video a year later. One of the thugs was played by William Sanderson. Okay. <laughs> Available uncut on American DVD from Blue Underground. And um, doing my little bit of research, the PAL VHS from Vision On is the, the company you're looking for on that one. Um, there was a copy that had sold. I don't know how recently it had sold, but... Um, the, the last recorded price I could find for it was 185 pounds. So, uh, it's, it's garnering a a fairly, it's a nice little price. It's not completely crazy like someone, but it's also not super low, like 85 pounds or $85 or anything along those lines. So it's, it's not one of the most expensive. It's not one of the least expensive expensive of, of those films boy this was a ride uh i definitely feel our interaction and back and forth with faces of death 
you got some informative stuff here, and I uh, something neat. There's content. There was some good content in this. I just want to stress again at the end of the program that Fight for Your Life really is an experience to be had, and I don't want to push or sway somebody from watching it, but please heed our warning. It, it can be an offensive movie, and it really is a time capsule thing. It, it's looking, especially at the writer and the director's stance at the time period of what you know they, they wanted to move with, and this movie wasn't made for any certain point. It was it was an exploitation film. It was made for money. It was made to put out. It was made to uh, make. So, you know, I don't mean to come off in a manner of uh, saying this movie is inherently racist because that's not what I mean at all. And I don't mean that Straw Wiseman or anyone involved is a racist, that it it's just really not its subtext. What you have to go through, I think is an overwhelmingly racial ride, and it, it can be brutally offensive at that point. I still think it's art. I, I don't even think it's necessarily a bad movie. I just don't enjoy it, I and I wouldn't even give it a poor rating because it is shot very well, it is edited well, it is acted well. Like, I, I was a, made a bit of a misnomer at the beginning of this. I wouldn't say written. the the And it's not Straw Wiseman's bad writing. It's just, like, this is like 45 minutes to an hour of just as many racist terms as you could find. And you probably made up a handful of them. Uh, it just goes on forever. It's like a very bigoted last house on the left. <laughs> Basically, I mean, that's the yeah. best way to racist last house on the left. The movie. And probably we, we've just recently done some shows like the Astron six at some of our, our highest reviews and the, the most positive we've been. So this, I guess, comes off a bit more negative than anything else, but I at least have gotten a, a much deeper appreciation for Faces of Death, and I think it really comes from learning how much, and I and this is exciting, I think even what we've talked about, you as the audience, if you can go home and, and well, you're probably listening to this at home, but if you can, you know, get yourself a copy of this and hear some of the things I heard, it gives a whole new life to the movie, and I think that itself is really fascinating, that the watchability has changed, that though some of the stuff you see is horrific and abhorrent, being able to hear this this director actually talk about how elaborately it was filmed, I had a hoot and a holler, both of them all together. It was a lot of fun. So I, I classic really, Hank rating. It is a hoot and a holler. I got to give a lot of credit to Gorgon Video for what they put together. It's really really cool, and it really breathes fresh air into Faces of Death. Funny that 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 ends up being the one that lives on forever, and we just kind of pissed all over uh, Fight for Your Life, like the dog pisses on. Jesse Lee Kane's face at the end of this film. You even get that. Like, it truly goes into exploitation mode. There's a dog that's been locked up the whole film, and one of the characters, Floyd Turner, lets it loose, played by Reggie Rock Bob Bythewood, who actually did direct Bucking Biker Boys. And immediately, the dog just goes and pisses on his face. Like, yeah, they're really getting it. Gets pissed on. Like, ah, he just raped somebody. I don't know if that's <laughs> really paying off for me, but... Whatever, fight for your life. It's older than I am, and <laughs> it'll outlive me. <laughs> the legacy of this movie will outlive ours, so, you know, what am I talking about? Is that the end? <laughs> That's the end. So until next time, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. We'll see you later. See you later. That was fucking dumb. See you later. See you later. <laughs> Death. I DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience.